Uh-oh, my internet just dropped out. Can you still hear me, Jeremiah? Are you there? Well, I'm in charge of the show now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Alan Gerding. This is the Tuesday Night Podcast. The podcast all about the stories that we make on, off, under, around the gaming table while playing those beautiful tabletop games. And with me today, I have the apple of my eye, my second partner, my other marriage. I have Sean McCoy. Hey, how's it going, everybody? And we also have someone else with us today. Who are you, sir? 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 Who, who am I? Yes. Am I sir? Am I a knight? Is How no. does that work? No, of course no. not. You're not. No. Nice try. No, not yet. You got to send in your story, but you're going to tell a story today, aren't you? I am going to tell a story. Uh, so I should probably introduce myself because we still haven't done that. Uh, hey, I'm Jeremiah Isley. I've been on this podcast before. You have been. Jeremiah, thanks so much for coming back. Yeah. Because this episode is episode 89, which I'm going to call the fire episode. <laughs> Fire. Why Why are you going to call it that? You tell me. Why would I call it the fire episode? Uh, well, probably because... Uh, you want to talk about financial independence and retiring early in that movement amongst young people these days? <laughs> uh, no, we're, we're calling it the fire episode. I guess you're calling it the fire episode because about, uh, what is it, like two and a half weeks ago, we, we being the Isley household had a little... Well, not so little house fire. And um, you want to talk about the fallout of that, I guess. Is everybody okay? Every yes, I should I should put that out there at the very beginning of this. Everybody is just fine. Everybody's okay. We had the good fortune, if you want to call it that, of my wife being home. She was home and she was awake. And basically what happened is our, our electrical panel blew up. So when that happened, she was inside. She heard it happen right away, ran downstairs and 911 and fire department, you know, they were all there within minutes and literally saved our house. It was minutes from being consumed in flames. Now, the reason I'm really interested in this, besides it being a horrible story, and I'm really sorry about all that. I've heard this story. You shared it on your podcast Mm -hmm. is... Bittersweet as it sounds, probably my favorite podcast episode because of just how raw and real it was, and I'm a sucker for stories. But I couldn't help <laughs> but think, selfishly, Sean has asked me this question before. If your house was burning down and your board games were at risk, which board games would you save first if you could save some board games? So we'll get to that question after we get into the details of the Isley House Fire. <laughs> they made this into a movie, didn't they? Manchester by the Sea? That was about you guys, right? Yeah, yeah. We're still negotiating movie rights to, like, there's, you know, some plagiarism involved and whatnot. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> no, uh, so the important thing, like I said, is everybody's fine. Everybody's okay. My kids, my family, nobody was ever even exposed to smoke, let alone the actual flame. Uh, my wife did make a valiant effort to throw flour on the fire because she knew electrical fires you couldn't you couldn't use water you couldn't throw water on it because that just makes it worse because now you've got like arcing electricity with fire it may look cool in a video game but it's it's not cool in real life 
So basically, we are looking at about two to three months being displaced. We just moved into a rental house, which oddly enough was harder to do than it was to go to a hotel for about a week. The, the boys and, and my wife and I, we get hotels, right? Most everybody's been in a hotel and it's kind of a fun experience. You're traveling somewhere, you're doing something cool. But moving into a house that you know isn't yours, it's not where you're trying to settle down, it's not where you're trying to kind of become a part of that neighborhood or that community. It's just this place that you're stuck in for a little while uh, was really kind of unsettling and, and disconcerting you know, we're like four, three or four nights into this now, and, and it's it's becoming easier. We're, we're a little more comfortable. I've got my, my microphone and my laptop, which smells like smoke. That's another story um, <laughs> in front of me. So it, there's a little bit of home here, but my games are not here. The fire, like I said, was in the basement. Um, pretty much everything in the basement is a total loss due to all of the smoke damage and smoke odor. Wait, wait. And you said everyone was okay, though. At the beginning of this, you said not to worry. Everyone's okay. Yes. But everyone is okay. Your games then are okay. Like, so you're saying your games are okay. No. <laughs> wait, I'm confused. Um, Which one the, is it then? The animate objects that reside in my home are okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry, continue. Health-wise. Health-wise. Uh, so there's there's just a lot of smoke damage, a lot of water damage, some fire damage in the basement, and insurance basically came in. And we're still kind of going through that process of like, what do we get back? What do we have cleaned? What's gone forever? But they basically said, yeah, everything in the basement, which is my entire game collection included, is a total loss. It's gone. Uh, a few days ago, I watched them pack up all of my games in the boxes and take them away and put them in a facility to be either disposed of later or if I tell them, no, I need that game back, I want that one back, that kind of thing, I'll get, I'll get some of those back. But right now I have, I have two games in my possession because they came in the mail after the fire. But other than that, that's... That's all I've got, and we're in the process now. They're demoing stuff in our house. Like, it's completely empty. They've packed every last belonging and uh, carried it away. So, yeah, fun times at the Isley household. Speaking of right now at the Isley household, how are you guys doing emotionally? Have you emotionally recovered? What's up? Lay it on me. We're here for you. <laughs> I appreciate that. I love you guys. Hey. We, uh... I think there's sometimes when it hits us and we're like, crap, our house was on fire. And then there's other times where it's like, we just have to get through this day. The situation sucks. We don't want to be in this house. Not that it's a bad house that we're living in right now, but it's not home. Remarkably, our, our kids have been super resilient. They have just really rolled with the punches. And we told them that it's because of all the crazy things that we make them do and <laughs> surprise road trips and all that stuff that they've gotten used to just rolling with whatever craziness is coming <laughs> next. And we've had lots of great conversations, which is good for them and it's good for us too because we, you know, my wife and I are, are processing this just as much as they are. So we're, we are holding up. There are certain times when you just don't know what it is that's going to kind of send you over the edge and you're just going to have to sit down for a little bit. 
it was a couple days afterwards and they, they brought in a cleaning company for our clothing and we had to say, you know, here's clothes that we want right away. We need to wear clothes because when the fire happened, we literally had the clothes on our back and everything else just you couldn't wear because it smelled so strongly of smoke. So that was, you know, a fun 2 a.m. trip to Walmart. Uh, <laughs> Oof. But when they when the, the cleaning company came, we originally we said, oh, th- this closet, just just take everything there and, and clean it all. And they were doing their job. They, they took everything out of the closet. They started counting things and just marking their inventory so they could keep track of everything. And my wife just heard them counting our clothes and she was done. For whatever reason, it, it just hit her like, oh my gosh, people are going through our things and counting them and taking them away. And So you're talking sobbing. She hit her like a ton of bricks and emotionally yeah. she just fell apart. Yeah, it was just it was just rough, you yeah. know. My girlfriend and I call that uh, the emotional minefield, which is like when you've gotten past the like immediate yeah. shock. You just don't know where the landmines are anymore, and you just be going through your life, and then boom, like landmine goes off. Yeah, and it just sort of takes you right back to the moment. So I I, I totally understand, man. Yeah, yeah. So that was just one of those moments, and because my guitars were in, in the basement as well, and I said, nope, I'm getting those back. <laughs> You're gonna clean those, and they said, hey, the, guitar- the guitars look fine, but you might lose the cases and I've had one of my guitars for 20 some years and literally there's there's like a scrapbook of stickers on on that case which sounds ridiculous but it just was like oh now thankfully turned out they were actually able to save it oh sweet so but there was just a moment of like you got to be kidding me and it's nothing special it's just a hard shell acoustic guitar case but <laughs> right. it was one of those things that hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, oh my gosh, that's the kind of thing I might lose. The minefield, like you said, Sean, is, is definitely uh, a real thing for sure. Here's the genuine what I really like about your story. And this is me reading between the lines. But the emotional minefield of counting clothes is a reminder of what you could have lost. Because it's the clothes and it's the stuff and it's mm-hmm. the memories of the guitar that you could lose, that you have lost perhaps, but you didn't lose the child. You didn't lose yeah. the wife, the kids, the family, and not even the house as a whole. Right. And if anything, I really like that this story is this close call story and the emotional minefields are the reminder of what you could have lost, which I think brings you so together and also as the community because I imagine I'm not the only one that reached out to you and said if you need a place to stay if you need help moving just we're here for you so I I imagine it's brought a lot of people out of the woodwork and let you know how much you're loved you have no idea (laughs) um and I'm getting emotional right now but um we have had countless I mean, just countless people text us, email us, Facebook us. Hey, what do you need? What do you need? What can we do? Often our answer is, we don't know, but thank you. We've had countless people come up to us and just give us an envelope and it's got cash in it or it's got gift cards so we can go out and eat or gift cards so we can go get clothes or toothbrushes or whatever. Um, So the generosity of people... (laughs) All right, man. Um, <clears throat> in some ways, uh, I guess in a lot of ways, 
a little bit of my faith in re- in humanity has been restored. <laughs> but it has been just completely overwhelming. Uh, I've had I've had listeners of my other podcasts and uh, readers of the blog like just send me emails. Hey, I heard about your games. I'm so sorry. What do you need? I have copies of this. I have copies of that. And I'm just like, are you kidding me right now? Like people I've never even met or barely emailed with or whatever, just kind of reaching out and saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe you, you've you lost your games and they're not in your house. And we are, like I said, overwhelmed and just blown away by people who have just swooped in and offered help. Whatever form that takes, it's been simply amazing. So that's been just an outstanding realization of how awesome it is to have people around you that all the all the time that you invest in your friendships and your relationships and your family, we're getting returns on that investment. And it's not like it's an investment you expect a return on or you're like, oh, someday all this time I'm, I'm helping out or I'm doing this is going to pay off. But you, you look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, it's it's coming around again. So it's been it's been amazing. Wow. Well, of course, Sean and I, uh, we've got your back too. And if you need another copy of Two Rooms and a Boom and World Championship Russian Roulette, you can go on Amazon and they're twenty five dollars. <laughs> and excellent. Uh, you know, make sure you have a valid credit card and they'll ship them to you in no time. No, of course, we. I did. Send I did get an Amazon uh, gift card in the mail the other day. So. I'll just uh, fire that up. <laughs> you really helped us play test and develop World Championship Russian Roulette to the game it is today. So, of course, you <laughs> should never be without one. So, no worry on the two games that we have. Excellent. Just a hundred or so more to go. <laughs> right. The other good news is, Jeremiah, is that my basement is now overfilled with games for sure. I have literally run out of room. I believe it. Do not have enough room for the games. And there's so many games I want to get rid of. I know they're sloppy seconds, but next time you come over, man, I want you to really help yourself to my basement because you'd be doing me a huge favor. Cool. I know I got a ton of kids games and I don't have kids, but you got two (laughs) great ones. Xavier and Cooper. Actually, I have three now, but that's another story. That's right. Three kids. How could I forget? So I know you have three kids now. There's Cooper. Yeah. There's... Cooper and Xavier. Mm-hmm. And little Violet. Violet. Our little, uh, our little tag on. <laughs> Very cool. I think one of the hardest issues in the board game community right now is that so many new games come out and everyone's so focused on what's new that previously where you had an industry full of people who were mega fans of a game and they played a game over and over and over again. Now you've got people who are continuously purchasing games and nothing's really becoming a classic because people aren't diving into it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's the cult of the new. So one of the things Alan and I are constantly going back and forth about Jeremiah is one, as publishers, when we publish a game, do we think that this game will replace a game that's already on somebody's shelf or be so different that we're we're sure there's not a game like that, either for that player count or for that genre or whatever? It's a real question we have to ask ourselves over and over and over again. And one of the ways we do this is we ask ourselves if our you know house was on fire or burning down or whatever, and we could only save a few games what games would we save? Yeah. Another way to look at it is like, if you could only play four or five games for the rest of your life and you're not picking, let's say, D&D, what are those games that are always going to hit your table and that are going to continue to be more and more fun every day? In your situation, luckily, you have a unique <laughs> insight into this because you know, like, what are the games that you're either going to most miss or that you're going to want to replace the quickest? 
What are those emergency rescue fire games for you guys? Yeah, so it's a super hard question, but I one of the ones that definitely came to mind, and it's probably one of my oldest games that I, I've had for quite a while, is my Carcassonne game. Classic. It, it's a classic, and everyone's like, oh, it's just Carcassonne. You can go get that wherever. But I have one of the old Rio Grande sets. I've got the broken token insert, and I've got like four or five expansions stuffed in that thing. So like that one box just has so much fun and memories, and it's a game my wife loves to play with me. So it's one of those things where like, uh, if I could just get that box out, that would be awesome the the other one that's like a top two that came to my mind was the uh hold on one second here he's cheating he's bringing up a google doc no he can't speak from the heart he has to speak from a script <laughs> my wife was texting me to see if i was still recording so i had to sure, do sure 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 no. we'll, we'll go with all right that. so uh, the other one that is right up there with with that is all of my Lord of the Rings, the living card game set. It's actually have two base games because we played it with four players and a ton of the chapter packs and a couple of the bigger expansions. I love that game to pieces. That's one of those games that we actually, we spent a lot of time playing and going through because it's almost a campaign style of game where each chapter pack is like another part of the story. It's another part of the adventure. So those those two were like the first two that jumped into mind. And I know this is going to sound <laughs> totally like I'm pandering to the audience, but both Two Rooms in a Boom and World Championship Russian Roulette those are games that my wife loves to play and I've played with so many different people. Those are definitely two of the top games that come on that list. I love like bluffing and social deduction. If I could just grab those and go, I know I can pretty much have a good time with anybody that I play games with, including my wife, who isn't always into like the deep gamer games. It's a big compliment. I appreciate you shouting out our games. It's, it's well-deserved. I'm, I'm serious about that. I know I, I know you guys and we've had a great friendship over the years, but I have seriously had so much fun with the games that you guys play. Even, you know, my days in ministry and things like that. We played Two Rooms in a Boom with youth group kids all the time and they all loved it. So if I'm being lowered into a vat of lava and Two Rooms in a Boom <laughs> is being lowered into a vat of lava, can only say... <laughs> Well, I would just hope that you would give the thumbs up like in Terminator 2, <laughs> <Right>. you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for me, I embrace the more fireside aspect of it rather than the games I could only play for the rest of my life because I definitely play monikers so much, but that's not even on my list because I can go to Target and buy monikers right now and I'm good friends with Alex Haig. I'd be like, could you hook me up with another monikers? Right, right. <laughs> So I went more with the actual, what are the pieces of work that I could not be without, that I'd be really sad if I lost them in any condition, let alone the fire. So I would say, first and foremost, Hero Quest. Hero Quest. Deep inside another dimension, face battling barbarians and evil magic on a quest for adventure in a maze of monsters. It's the earliest game that really got me into gaming 
and I had so much fun with my brothers, so many memories, but we also have our character sheets. So it's like a living memory of the fun we had as children, the simpler times before school really was weighing us down, relationships, life, distance, geography, all the woes that we have in adulthood. It is the symbolism of my youth and getting together (laughs) with people with whom I'm still friends. So Hero Quest would be the first thing I'd run in and get. The next one is not really a game anyone else can get, so I may be breaking the rules, but it would be the various versions of the games we've published. For instance, Mm -hmm. I have the white box version of Two Rooms and a Boom. Like Once you decide on a publishing company, they send you the box without any labels or anything on it. So it's like blank cards, blank box, blank manual. And then I also have the version that was the nightmare version where it was white card backs, but the plastic was so thin you could see through them. So each of these little objects have a story of themselves. And so we have five different basic versions of two rooms and a boom, and each one progressively gets better than the last. And then Plato 3000, because it's out of print and it's probably my favorite game period. So that goes for both ideas of what would you say from the fire? And also if you could only play one game for you're stranded on an island, you know, that would be the one. Danger lurks on Fireball Island. I love it so much. And because it's out of print, I'm not sure if I could get my hands in another copy. The other two that I'll mention is Boss Sack, which of course everyone jokes and calls Ball Sack. Have you guys played Boss Sack? <laughs> I haven't, no. I have not, no. So here's the thing about Ball Sack. Ball Sack is an old game by Zoch, that German company that has really good big components. I have yet to talk to someone who's played both Boss Sack and Junk Art, because anytime anyone describes Junk Art to me, it sounds like Boss Sack. And they say, oh, but there's multiple ways you can play Junkyard. And I say, yeah, there's multiple ways you can play Boss Hack too. There's gems and bidding and it's cooperative or competitive. There's so many different ways and each of those ways are so engaging and it's brilliant how the pieces fit together. Big wooden solid pieces. It's an heirloom game where I can see passing it on from generation to generation Mm, to generation because the components are so solid wood. It's so beautiful but it has brought us so much joy and fun and connection. And then the last thing I would do, probably because I didn't think about it, because I keep it in a separate room than all my other games, is I would get my Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Notebook from the days when I would GM a lot of role-playing games, a lot of sessions of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and that in of itself is a memory captured, an homage to my love for role-playing games. That's like a scrapbook. That's awesome. That'd be an amazing thing to have. I love it so much. That's my list, Sean. What's yours? Um, my list is pretty similar to Alan's. I would bring Play-Doh 3000, of course. It's one of my favorite games. My girlfriend and I play it all the time together. And it's one of the few board games that she's always down to play. I would be really happy to have that with us in sort of a trauma situation where we've lost all of our possessions. Um, having that game that we could play together would be really great. I would probably bring my copy of Hero Quest that I've never played. It was just really expensive to get. Hero Quest. And so I would like to have it. <laughs> a good replacement for that is I have a good old school games workshop version of Talisman, which was one of the first board games I saw as a kid where I thought, oh my God, that looks amazing. And it's like a so-so game, (laughs) but it's just a very beautiful game. And it always rocks that sort of imaginative part of my brain about what could make a great game. 
another game I would take is my copy of the original white box version of D&D. Those just old, old rules. I love the smell. They're smoky. They smell like my grandfather's place. You know, I got them off eBay, and it's just such like a token to me. I love it. I really love it. Can't take any of our prototypes for our games because Alan has all of those because he's so sentimental. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I would probably take Thunder Road, which is one of my favorite games and easy to break out and, again, unlocks that imagination side of me. One of the prototypes I'm working on right now, as weird as that sounds, I would take with me because it was a lot of work and a lot, a lot of physical labor and it's playable and I enjoy playing it. And so I would want to have that with me to keep working on. And then maybe the last two games that I see myself playing often are probably Deception, Murder in Hong Kong and uh, Flamme Rouge, two games that just got into my collection this year. Those I might not take because for the most part, they're pretty easy to get. Flamme Rouge is kind of hard to get these days, but not really. But yeah, my big three would probably be Original D&D, Play to 3000, and Thunder Road. Very cool. Nice. Well, I'm really excited that I will be burning some of my games by giving them away to Jeremiah and giving them away <laughs> to those people that show up to our Gen Con Live podcast. If you get the tickets right now, if we sell out of tickets. That means more prizes for everyone because I made the promise that if we don't have a ticket that has not been claimed, then... I will give away more games. With that being said, I think this is a great place to end the episode. But if you want to tell us what your games are, please let us know what your fire games are. And plus, we also have the Nave Tonight program. So if you have stories of your own, maybe similar to Jeremiah's, then you can upgrade yourself from a Nave to a night. Just email us at podcast at tuesdaynightgames.com. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm Alan Girding, A-L-A-N-G-E-R Ding. I'm on the tweets at Alan Girding and I'm on Facebook. Sean, how do they get a hold of you? You can find me on Twitter at, at Sean McCoy. That's S-E-A-N-M-C-C-O-Y. And Jeremiah, pimp yourself. <laughs> uh, I'm Jeremiah. I'm from theologyofgames.com. You can go there. We're a board game review site. We do two different podcasts. We have the Theology of Game podcast, and Alan referred to my show that I do called That's How I Roll. But you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. All of those are at Theology of Games. And I think with that being said, this episode is... Finished? I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs>